Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. I'm looking forward this morning to uh, finishing our Invitations from Jesus series. I was just driving home a few months ago now and uh, just that, that one verse actually where Jesus says, come to me all of you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And it just made rem- reminded me that Jesus actually invites us to come to him. The King of Kings invites us to come to him and that's where this series uh, came from. It's just what an incredible privilege that God invites us and we've got a choice whether we want to accept or reject the invitation. You know, every time you receive an invitation from somebody, what that person is saying to you is that they value you and they really enjoy your presence. You know, whether it's a wedding, a graduation, a party, whatever it was, just a dinner invitation, they're saying, with that invitation, they're saying, I value you and I really enjoy your presence. How incredible is it? That the God of the universe says to us, I value you and I enjoy your presence. Come close to me. Come come to me. And then we've got a decision to make whenever we receive an invitation. Do we value the person giving the invitation and do we enjoy their presence? And so we've got a choice to make. Are we going to accept the invitation or to reject the invitation. And I hope that over these past few weeks, you've been accepting Jesus' invitation. He says, come to me if you're weary, I'm going to give you rest. Come to me if you're thirsty, I want to refresh you. Come follow me, I'm going to help you find purpose in life. And uh, today's invitation is actually to surrender all to Jesus. And it sounds like a tough invitation, but it's actually a brilliant invitation. Because he's got so much, something so much better for us than what we'd ever plan for ourselves. So I pray that you've been accepting the invitation. I remember I received uh, an invitation many years ago now when my kids were little. There's a few uh, prams in the room today. And I remember when my kids were little, it was quite a long time ago. I've now got a pram and a uh, baby seat in my car again because I'm now a granddad. I can't believe it's all come around uh, so quickly. But uh, I remember when my kids were little and uh, I got a phone call one Saturday afternoon from my brother brother-in-law and he invited me to go to watch uh, the Aussie Rules with him. At that point in my life I'd never watched an Aussie Rules game. I just never got it. I grew up playing rugby. I had no interest in Aussie Rules. I just didn't get a game where you're allowed to knock on and no one cared. You know I didn't I didn't get a game where you could kick for goal and miss and they'd still give you a point. You know I just didn't I just didn't really get into the game at all and uh, so when he rang me on, on a Saturday afternoon I'd never, ever watched a game before. And I had, a, I had a, a choice to make when he invited me. He says, I've got free tickets to go and watch the Swans play at the SCG. I was living in Sydney at the time. Do you want to come with me? And so I had a choice to accept or to reject. I could either stay at home with Susan and help bath the kids watch funniest home videos, play an intriguing game of Scrabble on an exciting Saturday night, or I could go to the footy for free. 
I'm thinking, how bad can this game really be? Of course, I'll accept the invitation. It's a good invitation. And the next thing that just came out of his mouth was another invitation. He said, I'm actually going in on my motorbike. Do you want to jump on the back and come with me? And now I had to think a little more carefully about that invitation because I'd been on the back of his motorbike twice before and both times I almost saw Jesus face to face. You know, both times, remember this is a long time ago, we went around a corner on the wrong side of the road between a car and the gutter and both times I was just wearing a pair of shorts and no helmet. A long time ago, don't ever uh, do that. And I thought to my, I had to think a bit more carefully about whether I accept the invitation. But I thought, oh, look, he's grown up since then. He's more mature. You know, everyone deserves a second chance. We should show grace to people and forgive people. And so eventually I said, yeah, sure, I'll, uh, I'll jump on the back of the bike with you. A couple hours later, a Yamaha YZR1000QRS Turbo pulled in to our driveway doing about 110 kilometres an hour. And I looked out the window and I saw the number plates on his motorbike were bad one. <laughs> and I thought, you know, maybe I've actually made a really bad decision here, like a, a really bad one, but it was too late. I walked outside this time. I did put a jacket on and I did uh, put a helmet on and I jumped on the back of his bike and we took off out of our driveway doing about 120 kilometres an hour. We weren't out of my street and I knew I'd made a bad decision. I could feel the onset of stomach ulcers. You know, my hair back then wasn't grey, but it started to turn grey that night. I could feel them popping out of my head. My brother-in-law thought it was a really good idea to lean the bike over close to the bitumen as you could possibly get going around corners. I didn't think that was a good idea, and so I would lean it back the, the other way and straighten uh, the bike up. After every corner, I was glad it was a Saturday night and Sunday was coming soon because I had some serious confession to do the next day. You know, I was making up words that I didn't even know, but I was pretty sure that they were bad. After the second roundabout we went around where I almost single-handedly steered us into a power pole from the back of the bike, my brother-in-law stopped the bike, took off, his, opened his visor, said, Jason, you are the worst passenger I have ever had in my life. He said, you've just got to relax and go with the bike. You're constantly pushing the back bike the wrong way from the back of the bike. He said, just relax and go with the bike. Relax. Are you kidding? By the time we got to, to the cricket ground, I, my hands were prized so hard onto the, the grill at the back of his bike that he had to prize them open to get my hands off. We are flying along Parramatta Road in and out of traffic and I'm constantly tapping him on the shoulders, looking 500 metres ahead, just making sure he can see anything happening in advance. If I thought he was going too fast, I'd grab both his shoulders and just pull them back to, towards me, you know, like this. If I could see a Volvo anywhere in our vicinity. I just tap him on the helmet because Volvo drivers are terrible. And we're zooming along Parramatta Road. And I'm thinking, why do I hate this so much? I actually like riding motorbikes. 
I actually quite like the adrenaline rush of going fast. Why do I hate this so much? And I realized it was because I was on the back of the bike and I didn't have my hands on the handlebars. I couldn't control the accelerator. I couldn't reach the brakes. And as much as I tried to steer and control the bike from the back of the bike, I wasn't in control and I didn't like it. I'll never forget, this is a defining moment in my life. I'll never forget as we're zooming in and out of traffic along Parramatta Road. I felt like God say to me, you don't trust me either. You don't let me have control. You see, I didn't like being on the back of this bike because I didn't trust my brother-in-law with good reason. He's a maniac. But God said to me, you don't trust me either. You don't let me have control. See, at that stage of my life, I really wanted Jesus along for the ride in my life. But I wanted to stay in control. I wanted to stay in the driver's seat. I wanted my hands on the handlebars. I wanted my hands pointing us in the direction we're going to go, telling us when we're going to stop, when we're going to take off. I wanted Jesus along for the ride. I mean, Jesus is a handy guy to have along for the ride. You know, when things aren't going too well and you've got some stresses in life, it's kind of like, Jesus, I need you now. I'd really like to hear from you now. You know, if you could help me in this situation right now, Jesus is a handy guy to have along for the ride. When you've got problems in your marriage or your family, it's kind of, Jesus is a handy guy. He kind of designed the whole thing. He's a handy guy to have along for the ride when you've got some struggles. You know, when you're going into that exam and you know you haven't done enough study and you kind of want that supernatural download from, from Jesus before you walk into that exam room, he's kind of a handy guy to have along for the ride. Give me some of that supernatural peace Jesus. Now, Jesus is a handy guy to have along for the ride. And we all know that one day we're going to die. And Jesus would be a really handy guy to have along for the ride at that point. He's kind of our ticket to heaven. Jesus is a good guy to have along for the ride. This is the only problem is... Jesus never invites himself to come along for the ride. It's not in Scripture. He never invites himself to come along for the ride in our lives. He actually invites us to surrender control of our lives to him. I want to read a verse today that's a really well-known verse, but I'm going to read it first in the message because it's, it's got a lot of actual old language in it that we don't understand at first. And so Eugene Peterson's put it into really different language. It's in Luke 9, 23, if that can just come up from the message. It says, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Jesus' words, anyone... Anyone who wants to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Jesus never invites himself along for the ride. He invites anyone who wants to follow him to surrender control of their lives to him. He's in the driver's seat. Not me. Not you. Let me read it again in... Uh, 
in in the language that you're probably much more accustomed to. You know, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple or my follower must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. There's a lot of ancient language in this that we don't really understand from first glance. You know, firstly, he says, if you want to be my disciple, you want to be my follower. Disciple just means follower. You must deny yourself. Now, it's important to understand Jesus is not inviting us to some sort of new religious asceticism or monasticism, which simply means a a denial of any earthly pleasure, anything that feels good. That's religious asceticism. Or religious monasticism is locking ourselves away from the world and not having anything to do with it whatsoever. Jesus is not inviting us to do that when he says, I want you to deny yourself. That word deny is actually the polar opposite of the word confess. And so when we deny ourselves, we don't, you know, confess that I have any rights or I, you know, have any rule or I have any dominion. We're actually denying the self within us, the right to rule. And we're actually confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, including my very self. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you want to be my follower, you must deny the right for yourself to rule And you must take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, this is real important to understand. We all think of the cross and we think Jesus is the only one that ever went to the cross. It's not true. Jesus hasn't gone to the cross at this point. But they were living in a Roman regime where convicted criminals would carry their cross. And they would watch it all the time. It was a way for, for the Romans to try and suppress any kind of uprising in the, uh, the culture of the time. And, and so to, to humiliate the convicted criminal, you would not only be crucified you know, naked on a cross, but you would be forced to carry your instrument of death up the hill. You would carry your cross. You would go on a death march. You'd put yourself to death. And this is what Jesus is saying here. He says, if you want to be my disciple... He says, you've got to deny yourself, deny yourself the right to rule and to reign. And every day you have to go on a death march and choose to put yourself to death and choose to follow me. Choose to put me in the driver's seat because I'm not coming along for the ride. And so we're called to surrender control of our wallet, of our time, of our sexuality, of our direction for the future, what we're going to spend our time doing. And see, one of the reasons that we struggle to surrender control of our lives to Jesus is we're not convinced that he loves us and he actually wants something better for us than we want for ourselves. You see, until you're absolutely captured by the extravagant love and grace of God, you will not surrender control of your life to him. You know, my, uh, my son Joey turned 19 just last week. 
I uh, love that boy to bits. I always have since the day he was born. I got four kids. I love all of them uh, equally. I got three daughters that I love in a special way that a father loves daughters. They are the apple of my eye. And I've got one, one and only son. And I love him uh, in the way that uh, a dad uh, loves a son. Always have, always will. I've got to be honest, when he was two years old, there's a picture, oh, there he is, there's a picture of him when he was two years old, I wondered, why do I love him so much? I mean, what's he jolly well done to deserve it? <laughs> why is there so much love in my heart for him? Why would I take a bullet for this kid? I mean, he would, at that stage, he would wake me up in the morning at four o'clock by poking his fingers in my eyes. And, and if that didn't work, he'd just start to pull my eyelids back like this. And he'd just say, wiggles, wiggles. And he wanted to watch the wiggles. And I'd get up bleary-eyed, and this was a long time ago, I'd put a video cassette in the VCR player, and we'd watch the, the Wiggles, and I'd drive to work an hour or two later, singing, call spaghetti, call spaghetti, mashed banana, mashed banana. I mean, I couldn't get those songs out of my head every morning. I worked out after a few mornings, you know, I could actually, was so transfixed by those cool guys in skivvies, that I could sneak, I could sneak back to bed and he wouldn't even notice. That's parenting 101 right there. And, uh, you know, and, and then one morning I, I came out and he'd gone through the pantry and just turned the pantry upside down, food all over the floor. And so I put a lock on that pantry and I put him back in that beanbag. A couple of mornings later I come out and he's hungry, he's gone through the bin looking for scraps spread out all over our kitchen floor. I'm thinking, why do I love this kid? You know, the, the, the morning, I, I, I really questioned myself. Why do I love this boy? Why is there so much love in my heart? Well, it was the morning that I woke up and I could feel him brushing my hair. And just as I opened my eyes, he was starting to brush my teeth with the toilet brush. And I'm sitting there on the end of my bed, you know, picking out bits of paper from between my teeth. And I'm thinking, why do I love this boy? What has he done to deserve it? I remember thinking, there's three simple reasons why I love this boy. Firstly, he looks a little bit like me. And for some reason, that's cool. Secondly, and I won't say too much more about this, but I had something to do with making him. And that's pretty cool. And thirdly, he's mine. And for some jolly reason, I love him simply because he's mine. And this is the bit we've got to get into our hearts this morning. You have a father in heaven that feels the same way about you. You see, you look a little bit like him, and he likes that. Very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, verse 27, says, male and female, you are made in the image of God. And he looked at all the other things that he made, the mountain, the sea, the fish, he said, good. Then he looked at you, said, very good. Pinnacle of my creation. You look like him, you're made in his image. 
And he actually likes that. It's why you're different from the rest of creation. He treats you differently to the rest of creation that he cares for and sustains with his mighty hand. Secondly, he had, you, he had something to do with making you. Psalm 139. Out of the depths of the earth, he knitted you together in your mother's womb. All of his works are fearfully and wonderfully made. Every day of your life was written in his book before even one of them came to be. He had something to do with making you. He knit you together in your mother's womb before the foundations of this world were laid. Your picture was on his wall and he knew that he was going to make you. He knew that he was going to knit you together. He had something to do with making you. And lastly, you're his. You belong to him. 1 John 3 verse 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. It's kind of the word that, 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 that they're trying to come up with that would help us to understand the extravagance of love. It's been lavished upon you. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon you that you should be called children, little children of God. And that is what you are. You're His. You belong to him. You see, why does a father or a mother have this unconditional love of God in their heart, unconditional love in their heart for their kids? It is simply a mere glimpse of the love that our father has in heaven for every single one of us. Don't ever think that you could be a better or a more loving parent than the almighty one. Even when we mess around in the toilet of sin, he loves you and he just can't help it. And until you're captured by the extravagance of God's love, you will not surrender control of your life to him. If there was one time in history where God should have said, actually, I don't love you anymore. I've run out of love for you. My love has come to an end. I'm pressing pause on my love. It was as his one and only son went to the cross. As his one and only son. Remember the love that is in our hearts for our kids. Just a mere glimpse of the love that the perfect father has for the perfect son who's done nothing wrong ever. If there was one time where father and son should have said, that's it, my love for humanity, my love for these people has run out. It was as he was whipped within an inch of his life. It was as he was spat upon and hurled insults upon when he didn't deserve it. He'd done nothing to deserve it. It was as he was forced to carry his own cross up a hill that he didn't deserve. It's as his hands and his feet were nailed to that cross. If there was one time in the history of the world where God should have said, actually, my love for you has run out, it knows some bounds. It was that moment as all of your sin and all of my sin, all of the physical and the spiritual and the emotional weight of sin sat upon his shoulders on that cross and he was separated from his father's love so that you would never have to be again. If there was one moment in the history of the world where God should have said, actually, my love does know some bounds. I can't love you right now. It was that moment as Jesus 
hung upon that cross, his one and only son. But what are the words that come out of his mouth? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That, my friends, is a steadfast love that never ceases. That is a love that knows no bounds. That is the love of God poured out in Jesus for you and for me. Until you're captured by that love, until you are confident in what the cross has done for you, in making you a child of God, as we've just sung about, we've just read about today, you will not surrender control of your life to him. See, disciples are those who have been captured by the love of Jesus and responded by surrendering control of their lives to his loving leadership. We think there's no one that we would surrender to because there's no one who wants what is best for us more than we want it for ourselves. But what if there's someone who actually not only wants what is best for you, but knows what is best for you? Because he made you. You know, what, what, if there, what if there's someone who has actually literally taken a bullet for you because they want you to live forever? That is someone that we could surrender control of our lives to. Now, we had a big prayer meeting at church uh, about 10 years ago. And this is another defining moment of my life. A story on the motorbike 20 years ago. This prayer meeting in church was about 10 years ago. And God showed me in this prayer meeting my sinful and self-centered ways. I, God snuck up on me. I didn't see it coming. It wasn't fair. I, I was overcome with the grief that God felt in his heart for me and for our church. It was the first time I, I, I remember just feeling the lament of God for sin. And I was sitting down the front row where Izzy and Vicky are sitting right now. And I remember and I was about to get up on the stage and to lead my part of the prayer meeting. And I really wanted to stay on the seat. But I just couldn't. I just began to sob. As God showed me my sin, I felt the weight of sin. I ended up on my knees before God, just crying out to God, just humbly acknowledging my sin to God, how I'd slid into the driver's seat of my life again. And this time I was not only leading my own life with my own wisdom and my own strength, but I was now leading a church out of my own wisdom and my own strength. And I was jolly tired and I'd been sick for nine months. No one knew about it, but I was on strong medication just to get through every day. And I couldn't do it anymore. I just remember laying flat out on the floor to sobbing my heart out to God and just confessing my sin to him. And it, was, it was humbling, it was humiliating. But this is the incredible thing about God is that he promises to lift up the humble. And it was in that moment, it was almost instantaneous as I was dealing with the grief and the lament of sin, I almost instantaneously just felt God lifting me up, drawing me into a new intimacy with Him, a new joy with Him, filling my heart with a new love and a new peace that I hadn't known for a long time. Almost instantaneously, He was lifting up the humble. 
And he changed my life on that night. Changed my, my, my relationship with him. Brought me to a new place of intimacy. The thing is, we shouldn't be surprised at this. If you go on to the next verses that Jesus says, after he says, take up your cross daily and follow me, he says, for whoever wants to save their life, whoever wants to hold on to control, will lose it. But whoever loses their life, whoever surrenders their life to Jesus, will save it. You see, Jesus is asking us to put our sinful, self-centered life to death but it's an inferior life to what God wants for us. He wants to give us a better, a more loving, a more peaceful, a more patient, a more joyful, a more Jesus-like life. You know, from that night on, I never dealt with that sickness again. He healed me that night. I didn't know it for some weeks later. There was a peace in my life I hadn't known for years. Until that moment, Jesus had something better for me. I just had to surrender to him. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily. Following Jesus, a hundred decisions a day to surrender control to Jesus. And lastly, I'd say, in every season, there's a new level of surrender. There's a new yielding to him. On that bike was 20 years ago. On my knees in that prayer meeting was 10 years ago. During COVID-19, God's called me to a new place of surrender. I found myself in April and May going, God, I don't know what to do next. I love planning the next year, the next two years, the next five years, the next eight years. I love doing that. I didn't know what to do the next day. I I didn't know how to to lead the church forward. And I felt like God say, good, good. I had this discipline. It was no, wasn't quite as instantaneous a moment on the bike or in that prayer meeting. But I had a six-week period where every morning or every night, depending on what I had on, I would stand at this spot at Cleveland Point where you can see the sun rise up over the water and you can sort of set it sea down over the water or over Ormiston in the same spot. And I'd sit there either in the morning or at night and I just watch the sun come up and I just begin to say to God, I don't know what to do, but you do. You just made that happen. You held that sun as it came up out of its chamber. You are in control of this world. You're making this planet spin. God, in this season, I choose to trust you. I choose to surrender afresh to you. And it wasn't as theatrical a moment as these. It took six weeks to God to bring me to a new place of surrender and peace. But once again, God had something better for me. I'm enjoying ministry more now than I have for the last two or three years. I'm full of of hope and faith for the future because Jesus had something better for me. In every season, there's a new level of surrender. You see, your revelation of God's love and power will determine the extent to which you'll surrender to him. You know, we read stories like this all the time, but Isaiah is a classic story, Isaiah 6. People are a long way away from God. He's got to speak a tough word into a, into a tough culture, into a tough generation. And he sees this incredible revelation of, of God in the, 
in uh, the temple and he says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he realizes his sin, says, I'm a man that's unworthy. I have unclean lips. And God comes and atones for his sin. He deals with his sin. And, and Isaiah has this revelation of God's immense power, but his incredible love to forgive. And he has these simple words. Here I am. Send me. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll say whatever you want me to say. Here I am. Send me. That's how Jesus finishes this little passage with. I don't know if we've got those next couple of verses to come up. But he says, you know, anyone who is ashamed of me and of my words here uh, on earth, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I believe in this season, in a tough culture, in a tough season, in a nation that's becoming more and more secularized, Jesus is not looking for superstars. He's simply looking for people who will say, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll say whatever you want me to say. I surrender control to your love and your power. You know, I was praying. I was praying that that game at the SCG would go on forever. I was praying that in Aussie rules, you played to the death. And I was just last man standing. It turns out they do play for a very long time. But the game did come to an end, and I did have to climb back on this bike to go home. And I decided as I got back on the bike, I was going to have a different experience going home. And we're coming up to these big sweeping bends going onto the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And I just decided, all right, I'm actually going to close my eyes. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to relax. And I'm just going to go with the bike. I got my eyes closed and I'm just relaxing. I'm going with the bike up around these big sweeping bends up onto the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And you know what? It was even more terrifying than the first time. <laughs> it was awful. We're almost home, second last set of traffic lights, and I'm having my own little praise and worship party on the back of the motorbike. You know, I'm alive, thank you, Jesus. And just as we're sitting at the lights, a group of young punks pull up next to us in a hotted up rotary, and they just start bouncing the back end, you know, dropping the clutch next to us at the lights. And I'm just in the process of lifting my visor to say to my brother-in-law, you're a grown man. You've got nothing to prove. Just let these young punks go. But it was too late. Just as I'm lifting my visor, the light turned green and we took off. The bike goes zero to 100 in 3.2 seconds. I'm sitting on the back, I weigh 100 kilos, my brother-in-law weighs 65. He forgets how heavy I am. We are doing 120 along Epping Road, doing a wheelie. I could see now, not just the bitumen on the side, I could see the bitumen right behind me. And as we finally came back down onto two wheels, I looked around and we blew those young punks away. <laughs> And in a spurt of adrenaline, I turned around and I went, yeah! <laughs> Remember, it was a very long time ago. 
This is what I want us to understand. When we surrender control of our lives to Jesus, there'll be moments where we go, I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know what he's got for me in store next. But I guarantee it won't be boring. If your faith has become boring, you've stopped following Jesus. You've actually got into the driver's seat. Because when we're following Jesus, people's lives get transformed. When we're following Jesus, miraculous provision comes from heaven. When we're following Jesus, people get healed. When we're following Jesus, you know, God speaks his words of life through us and it changes lives forever. He's got an incredible adventure of faith for every single one of us. If we'll choose to stay on the back seat, let Jesus have the driver's seat and surrender every area of our lives to his control. I'm gonna get the band to come back up this morning. I just wonder whether some of us, I don't know all of your situations, I don't know everything that uh, you've gone through during COVID. I know it's been a disturbing and a disruptive season for many of us. I, I wonder whether today God is calling us to surrender afresh to Him. To say, Jesus, you got all of me. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll say whatever you want me to say. I'll give whatever you want me to give. I'll share whatever you want me to share. Maybe for you, it's surrendering control of your wallet. Maybe it's surrendering control of your time. Maybe it's surrendering some hurt and some bitterness from a relationship in the past and it's time to forgive. Maybe it's you know, surrendering control of your witness at work. You've kind of wanted to stay hidden. And Jesus is asking you to speak, to not be ashamed of his words. I'm not sure what it is for you. But I'm going to ask us to stand right now. I'm going to get our prayer team just to come and stand down the front with us. I'm going to start in a moment just by praying over you as you come and surrender afresh to him. And then our prayer team is just going to come and gather beside you and begin to pray and to prophesy over you, to encourage you today. I know not everyone is physically capable of doing this. And if you're not, that's okay. Maybe you just need to do it in your heart. But I wonder if some of us need to come and kneel before God this morning down the front. Just like that moment for me in that prayer meeting of just saying, oh God, I want you to have all of me. I, I want you to have control. Maybe today that's your prayer. I, I'm gonna stay in this posture today. I just believe it's a season of surrender for me today. It has been for this season. But I wanna invite you as we sing this old hymn which just says, I surrender all. This is a vulnerable place to be on your knees. But I just want to invite you this morning. If today is a day for you just to say, Jesus, I surrender all to you. Just come and join me as they sing this song. I'm going to pray over you and our prayer team.
are going to come and pray for you. Just come and join me when you're ready. Father God, I just thank you. I thank you for your extravagant love and grace for all of us. I thank you that you see every heart here this morning. You see what they're letting go of, control of today. And even if there's some pain and some trepidation in doing that, God, I just believe there is joy in your heart this morning because you know what is coming. God, you know what you're going to release. You know the new joy that you're going to bring into hearts today. You know the peace that you're going to bring, a peace that passes understanding. God, you know the intimacy that they're going to receive as they walk closely with you. God, you know, you know the good things that you are going to pour out into their lives, the miracles that will flow, the forgiveness that will flow, like a healing river. God, there's healing that's going to flow. You're going to heal broken hearts. You are going to heal broken marriages. God, you are going to heal and to bring life. God, I believe as we lay down our lives to you today, you are going to bring new resurrection life. God, I just believe for new life, life in families, for for new life in businesses. God, for new life to come in relationships. God, You are going to heal what seems impossible to heal. God, Your grace is going to bring joy where there's been heartache and pain. God, may Your Spirit flow into each of these surrendered hearts today and bring new life. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.